I can't believe we're almost through week six. Whoa, it seems like we were just taking off the training wheels from training camp, haha, and preseason and getting started. I got to say, though, as much as, yes, we are a month and a half into the NFL regular season, it's a little bit surprising to me anyway that there are still so many offenses that are not in a consistent rhythm. There are still so many offenses that can only put together one great quarter or two, maybe, on a good day. Even the Philadelphia Eagles, and congratulations to the Philadelphia Eagles, still unscathed, heading into their bye week. First time since 2004 that they've been 6-0. and Boom. They went to the Super Bowl that year, by the way. But even the Eagles love the second quarter and then always seem to have a drop-off in the second half of a game. Happened against the Arizona Cardinals. Last week. And so, yes, you are what your record says you are. The Eagles are still undefeated. They're out in front of a very competitive NFC East. I just have to keep saying that over and over again. But it wasn't all purdy. Now, style points don't count. This isn't college football where a committee determines your fate. Nah. Wins are wins, and winning is beautiful. But as I was watching the early round of games on this Sunday, I was thinking, how can we dare complain about Thursday night football? Some of this stuff is just brutal. And we do have several rookie quarterbacks who are starting. Weren't supposed to be on the field necessarily. So think Skylar Thompson from Miami. Bailey Zappi, though, he had a really strong game for the Patriots to the point where I actually had a family member send me a text. So, I guess Bailey's taking over Mac's job? No. No, he's not. (laughs) My response was, I don't think so. (laughs) Anyway, Mac Jones was actually out on the field for warm-ups today, which was good. Now, he wasn't warming up, so to speak, but he was at least out there with his teammates on the ankle. A lot of injuries, obviously, because that's always a part of football. And certainly, we've seen plenty of impressive, jaw-dropping feats of strength. And there are some really good teams on both sides of the ball. But it's still up and down, all around, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Which is why you don't really know from one week to the next if you can trust your team or if a fan base is going to decide, ah, time to fire the coach. I don't know, Steelers fans, are you still ready to fire Tomlin or nah? Illogical, irrational. Truth is irrelevant when it comes to being a sports fan. That's why we like it. To shoot a hostage, if you will. Oh, dear. No, no, no. Let's not do that. (laughs) It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. We're going to get to all the nitty-gritty of week six, Sunday. We're not going back to Thursday. We, We had to watch that once. That was bad enough. So all of Sunday, week six, we'll talk a little bit about what's to come on Monday night. 
And yes, we've got October baseball. Does Philadelphia know how to put on a show in October? And I don't just mean the baseball team. You know what blows me away? And again, this is why we love sports. Because they never quite go according to plan. And in the postseason, rarely go according to plan. The last two teams to make it into the NFC playoff bracket, the last two teams, both wild cards in the Phillies and the Padres are the last two teams still alive for a World Series out of the NL. There's something to be said for having to fight for your postseason life all the way to the end of the regular season. Dodgers are a great team. Braves are a fantastic team. They're a championship team. But Phillies and Padres had been playing on the edge for quite a while and just stayed right in that zone. Confidence was high. Chemistry, obviously, locked in. They had to have that. Otherwise, they wouldn't have made the playoffs, fighting off all challenges. And for the Phillies, when you play in the NL East with a pair of teams that won 101 games, well, you know how to battle. So lots of stunning results on the baseball diamond this weekend, too. Speaking of putting on a show, Oscar Gonzalez, SpongeBob, the Cleveland Guardians, they definitely know how to rise to the occasion in October. So happy for Terry Francona. (laughs) But the Yankees get the best of them on Sunday night. Garrett Cole. I would say that's exactly why the Yankees are paying a primo to have Garrett Cole as their starter for situations like this. And multiple times in this playoff run, he's come through. So we'll get you set for what is a win-or-go-home game in the ALDS coming up on Monday Whew. Glad that it didn't end today because there's plenty to get to. I need a little more brain matter to be able to focus on a game five on Monday along with, of course, Monday Night Football, which may not require as much brain matter unless the Broncos offense shows up at some point. That would be fun. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. We're live from the Rocket Mortgage Studios When you need cash out of your home in a simple way to get it, Rocket can. So plenty of good, bad, and ugly on the gridiron this weekend, as always. And you know I like to do this a couple times during the season. So why don't we throw that out there? What was good, bad, and U-G-L-Y? You ain't got no alibi, yo ugly. Uh, Don't ever say that to a person, especially not a girl. It'll hurt her feelings. Um, So what was good, bad, and ugly on the gridiron this weekend. And sure, you can throw in some football. Now remember, did I say football? I meant to say college football, duh. There goes the perfect show. Now remember, it can be ugly and still be a win. The kick that Tennessee used to take out Alabama for the first time in forever was actually kind of wobbly and a little bit scary. And maybe just a little bit ugly. (laughs) Until it went through the uprights. And then Orange took over Knoxville. Even more than it generally does. All kinds of fines being handed down by the SEC to University of Tennessee. I bet they're okay paying them. Defacing property and that kind of stuff. Yeah, it was bound to happen. 
First time you beat Alabama in what feels like forever. Bound to happen. So a little bit of college football mixed in with our baseball because it's October and, of course, NFL Week 6. So you can find me on Twitter, Radio. Haven't had a chance to finish my tweet to say, welcome to the show. Welcome to another work week. I hope you had a good weekend. (laughs) I haven't done that part yet. Uh, But at least my notes are good. I'm ready. And you can also find us on our Facebook page, After Hours with Amy Lawrence. Shall we kick off with what they call Dallas Week or flip side Philadelphia Week? But it was Dallas Week because it was taking place in Philadelphia where the Phillies just took out the World Series champions with 17 runs on Friday and Saturday. And so now it was up to the Eagles to hold serve. The number of Eagles that I saw either post-game or even pre-game talking about how they wanted to keep this going, how they wanted to kind of capitalize on the excitement and the success of the Phillies. It's contagious, right? When one team is winning, well, the others kind of want a taste of that. They want to be part of that. And right now, Philadelphia, fun place to be a sports fan. By the way, final hour of the show, we'll welcome our friend John Kincaid, who not only is a longtime CBS Sports Radio host, but he and I worked together at our previous network. So we've been friends forever. It'll be fun because I know he went to the Phillies games this weekend. I'm not sure if he went to the Eagles game, only because he does a morning show. So I'm not sure he was out late for the game. But we'll welcome him live in our final hour. As I mentioned, the Eagles love the second quarter. (laughs) They really do. So if all you saw was the 20-3 to halftime score, Eagles leading Cowboys, well, if you're paying attention, you might expect that most of the damage was done in the second quarter. But if you're more of a casual fan, maybe you'd be surprised to know it was scoreless after the opening quarter. Not for long, because Philadelphia tends to find a second gear in that second quarter. Hurts takes the snap. He'll hand it off Sanders straight ahead between the hash marks. Bouncing off the pile, spinning to the end zone. Touchdown, Philadelphia. Miles Sanders takes it in, his fourth rushing touchdown of the year. It's the Eagles' 13th, and Philadelphia strikes first. Hurts takes the snap. He's going to fake. Looks, throws short right side. That's caught across the 10, down to the 5. Brown into the end zone. Touchdown, Eagles. A.J. Brown across the formation, and Jalen Hurts hits him in stride for six more. Ryan Radke on Westwood won all 20 points right in a row for the Philadelphia Eagles. They race out to that big lead, helped in large part by a pair of Cooper Rush interceptions in that first half. 17 points coming off turnovers, and so for them... This fits the mode, mold, mode, both. It fits the moldy mode. CJ Gardner-Johnson and both Darius, both he and Darius Slay are able to pick off Cooper Rush. And at that point, maybe it wasn't the blow-up game. The fact that the Cowboys were in a three-score hole, though, meant a couple of things. They needed to try to throw the ball to come back, 
but their strength is still the run game. They were able in the third quarter to put together a pair of long TD drives. But here's the here's the Here's the conflict, I guess, is the right way to say it. Because if you continue to eat time off the clock, eat time off the clock, well, then you don't have as much time remaining, which means you got to rely on your defense to not give up any other points. And for a while, that was working for the Dallas Cowboys. So they essentially possessed the ball for most of that third quarter, a four-and-a-half drive, four-and-a-half-minute drive, a seven-minute drive, Using the run game, using Ezekiel Elliott, and bringing the Cowboys back to life. Eight and a half to go in the third quarter. 20-3 Philadelphia. First and ten Cowboys from the Eagle 14. Ninth play of the drive coming up. Elliott in the backfield. Rush takes the snap. Give it to Zeke. Straight up the middle across the ten. Cuts left to the five. Elliott looking for the end zone. He's in. Touchdown Dallas. Ezekiel Elliott with a 14-yard touchdown run. And with 8.19 to go here in the third quarter, it's now Philadelphia 20, Dallas 9. The extra point coming up. What a drive by the Cowboys. Rush under center, takes the snap, fakes to Elliott, rolls right, throws, got a man open at the five-yard line, cutting back inside, into the end zone, touchdown Jake Ferguson. What a move by the rookie tight end to make the catch of the five, stuck his foot in the ground, came back in and scores. Once again, Ryan Radke on Westwood 1. I wouldn't say just like that because it wasn't just like that. But with those two long drives, with the ability to keep the ball away, essentially from the Eagles, they pull within a field goal. Now, Philly responds with its own ball control game. Remember the first month of the season? Even with Jalen Hurts and his connections with A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard, they wanted to run the ball. That's the Nick Sirianni prototype. Control the ball, run the ball. Sure, use a variety of weapons, but you control the ball, you control the game. And they do that. Seven and a half minute drive. 75 yards. And it's an opportunity for the Eagles to kind of right the ship after going a little bit off kilter in the third quarter. Gain of 22 to the 7. Here's the snap. Hurts fakes. Rolls right. Throws. End zone. Caught. Touchdown, Philadelphia. Devontae Smith was all alone. Jalen Hurts drops it in. And the Eagles have extended the lead. So for the Devontae Smith, it's funny because when they drafted him, there's an obvious connection with Jalen Hurts. But now, because they brought in other guys, because they have so many other weapons, he may not get the ball as much, right? He may not be the guy they're looking for all the time. Again, Dallas Goddard, A.J. Brown, Miles Sanders, Jalen Hurts himself can keep the football. And so their ability to spread it around, Jalen's ability to use the threat of the run, And that way, see things open up downfield with the passing game. Not to mention the fact that they are able to dictate to defenses, which I think is so impressive. We're seeing that. They're not just reacting to what the defense is giving them. They're able to dictate. And that means Jalen Hurts is getting smarter. He's getting wiser. He's getting more cunning as a starting quarterback. 
So at this point, the Cowboys are down a couple scores. Brad Maher misses a field goal. And they're able to close out Philadelphia. Dallas doesn't come all the way back. But still, there's, I think, a little element of concern there. Which is why Jalen Hurts said, we're not yet to the point where we have put together a complete game. There's still a lot that we want to work on. We're able to come out and start fast on both sides of the ball. It always pays dividends in the end. Um, you know, I think we left a lot of money on the table. There were some opportunities that we wanted to take advantage of, we could have taken advantage of, that we, that we just didn't. You know, those are things that we can control. Who's toughest the longest? Who can control the things that they can the longest? Who can stay the course? Who can truly stay the course? And um, like I said, I think this football team, the day we played together, um, circumstances in the game changed. Uh, we had momentum change in the game. We had a lot of different things going in the game, but we didn't waver from what we wanted to accomplish. You want to win the games against the teams in this division because, I mean, this is what's so cool about this division. Like, these are the hated rivalries, right? They're hated rivalries that, you know, that guys are still playing into, right? I, you know, sometimes I hear Michael Irvin talking about the rivalry that he has with Philadelphia. I think that's so cool. Nick Sirianni is fired up. <laughs> and he seems to be the right guy, the right voice for this Eagles team. As for the Cowboys, they see their four-game win streak come to an end. This is Cooper Rush's blow-up game. A third interception late in the game, along with the missed field goal, really were the final nails in the coffin. So he has three interceptions, two of them from C.J. Gardner-Johnson. And it wasn't just him. It was also the fact that the Dallas defense was, again, a lack of discipline. And so the way that they would come up with a big play and then hurt themselves. Like, oh, gosh. Um, okay, late in the game on the Devontae Smith. It was a Devontae Smith touchdown, if I remember correctly. Trayvon Diggs is angry, so he rips off his helmet on the field of play. Well, that's an automatic penalty. There was another penalty on Micah Parsons. I think it was for taunting. Something that, again, was all about discipline or a lack thereof. And so, yeah, the Cowboys have done well to, to be able to stay in the mix and to compete without Dak Prescott because the defense has been so good. But still, there, there are plenty of moments in this one where I felt like for Dallas, I don't want to say they'd let it get away because the Eagles definitely were in control for good portions of this game. It's almost like one step forward, two steps back. And that's frustrating if you want to be a winning team. I think like anything, the big thing, you know, we talked about in the locker room was, you know, just the, the emotion of the game. We, you know, you knew that coming in and, you know, you got to be better in the discipline penalties. You know, we had too many discipline penalties and we had, and we had three, you know, three giveaways. You know what we got on offense. We know the talent we have, you know, our scheme and we know what we're capable of, you know, and sometimes it's going to be ugly and, um, you know, it's yes. the NFL, they got good players too. And, um, but you know, there was no, I wouldn't say there was any panic or we just had to get going. We just, you know, kept shooting ourselves on our foot a little bit and missing throws, penalties. So, but then we got going third quarter kind of showed what we were about and, uh, you know, we love the fight. There was plenty of ugly to go around. I will say that, but for the Philadelphia Eagles to still be perfect in terms of their record, to be able to withstand some of these wild swings 
especially in a division where you're not talking about one team setting the pace and the others lagging behind. Nah, this is a very competitive, very challenging NFC East in terms of talent, in terms of leadership, not just because they're rivals. So here are the latest standings from the East Division. Eagles 6-0, and Giants 5-1, and Cowboys fall to 4-2, and expecting Dak Prescott back any week now. And the Commanders, of course, got a win after what was a crazy tumultuous week off the field, really. But they're now at 2-4. and four. So raise your hand if you thought the teams with the most wins in the NFC through week six would be Philadelphia, New York, Minnesota. Go ahead. Raise your hand. Nobody from the NFC West. Nap top two, top three teams there all have the same record at three and three. The top two teams in the South are also tied at three and three. Packers are three and three. I mean, what's happening to the NFC? <laughs> Philadelphia, New York, Minnesota. Your front runners in the NFC through six weeks. All right. I love it when the NFL makes no sense. On Twitter, A-Law Radio. On our Facebook page, too, After Hours with Amy Lawrence. Good, bad, ugly. Producer James already put up a post on our show Twitter account. So I'm going to retweet it. That guy's kind of scary. I don't, I don't like him. I don't really want to look at him again. So he's ugly is what we're trying to say, uh, which I guess underscores the point. Plenty of ugly to go around. So we're not just picking on one or two teams. And as always, our new thing, we'll put up a poll eventually. Who should be the most mortified waking up on a Monday? Lots of candidates for that poll as well. We are going to get to Bills and Chiefs, of course, before the end of this hour. We'll dive in. And also, I think when you look at what's happening in the NFC West, the fact that the Super Bowl champion Rams are there and scuffling, the Cardinals paid a ton of money to Kyler Murray, and they have another game without an offensive touchdown. Oi. Be careful. Your money doesn't buy what it used to. (laughs) It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. You are listening to the After Hours Podcast. Gonzalez awaiting the one-two pitch. Here it comes. A swing and a liner back up the middle base hit into center. Here comes Quan. Here comes Rosario. The Guardians win. He's done it again. Oscar Gonzalez. A two out. Two strike. Single to center. A mob scene in right. A three run ninth inning. And for the 13th time this year, Cleveland, trailing after seven innings, has come from 
it. This is After Hours with Amy Lawrence. I don't know how your Saturday night was, but it was nothing like what was going on in Cleveland. Oscar Gonzalez with the wild walk-off hit to deliver for the Guardians again. And I don't know if you guys saw this. I'm going to see if I can find it. I It was retweeted by some major sports outlets. But there was a fan who was about three, four blocks away from Progressive Field up high in either his apartment or his office. And so he's looking over the top of the city, and he's far enough away from the stadium that I can't see the field or anything like that. I can really only see the upper decks and obviously the lights, and you can hear the general noise and din coming from Progressive Field. And he's taking a video, he or she is taking a video, and about halfway through the video, the noise ratchets up, a good dozen decibels goes completely crazy. And you can tell, obviously, that's when Oscar Gonzalez had, had his hit in the bottom of the ninth to bring the Guardians all the way back and stun the New York Yankees in game three. Pretty phenomenal. I'll see if I can find that video again because even though you can't see a damn thing except for the top of the stadium and the lights, you can hear it so clearly on his cell phone video. Tom Hamilton, of course, crushes that call. It was a wild Saturday night for the Guardians. A three-run ninth inning that put the Yankees on the brink in game number four, which took place on Sunday evening, also in Cleveland. And the pitch is swung on, hit in the air to left field. Quan going back, a oh, way back. That ball is gone. Wow. A two-run home run for Harrison Bader. And the Yankees have a 3-0 lead. Swung on and drilled to deep left center field. Back goes Quan, a oh, way back. Makes the catch on the track. Rizzo had gone halfway. What a mistake. Judge scores. 0-2. And he struck him out swinging. Cole has eight strikeouts. The left-hand hitting Andres Jimenez with a count of one and two. Pitch. Struck him out swinging. Ball game over. Yankees win. The Yankees win. Their biggest win of the year by far. They didn't win. The season would be over. Now the season has one more game. Yankee Stadium tomorrow night. Whoever wins will then go to Houston to play the Astros in the American League Championship Series. So the Yankees won a biggie tonight. John Sterling with the calls of the Harrison Bader home run in the second inning. And then the Garrett Cole finish there. Uh, Seven innings, eight strikeouts. He throws 110 pitches. And it wasn't just that he was able to limit the damage by the Guardians. So he scatters six hits. They're they're able to come up with two runs. It's that Garrett Cole really didn't allow them many opportunities. In fact, with runners in scoring position, the Guardians were one for five. But that's it. They only had five opportunities with runners in scoring position. They only left four guys on base because he wasn't allowing anyone to get on base. Garrett Cole squashed any hopes pretty early. And the bullpen did its job. In fact, the bullpen, the two relievers that came in and Clay Holmes and Wadi Peralta don't allow any hits. So this was how the Yankees had to do it. And now that sets up a game five back at Yankee Stadium. And as you can imagine, 
all of the emotions that go into a winner go home game with your entire season on the line. So we'll look ahead to that game coming up. Last one of the division series. But Garrett Cole, he'd been hearing talk of redemption. This is your opportunity. Blah, blah, blah. This is this was the Garrett Cole the Yankees paid for and paid dearly for. Preparing for this game, when he told me that I was going game four, like, you know, there's an opportunity to clinch or an opportunity to go home. I didn't approach the game any different. So um, I just went out there and did my job. He did a really good job of handling it all and not, you know, not being affected by anything that went on in the game, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. He just kept, you know, slowing himself down, making sure he executed, obviously emptied the tank, and you saw some emotion there. Aaron Boone on Garrett Cole, his starter, which means Garrett Cole will not, of course, be starting in game five. Jamison Tyone against Aaron Savali. That comes up back in the Bronx at Yankee Stadium on Monday evening. And in case you're wondering, it kicks off about an hour and it kicks off. It drops. The first pitch goes. The first pitch gets thrown. It doesn't have a fun thing like tee off or kick off. Just it starts. It begins. Whatevs. Uh, It's not nearly as dramatic. Uh, That game begins an hour and 10 minutes or so before a Monday night football and before, I don't, I'm assuming we get Monday Night Mannings, but you know what happens when you assume. So maybe I shouldn't. But considering that it is a Broncos game, and the last time that the Broncos played on Monday night, Eli wanted to give Russell Wilson's money to the punter. <laughs> and of course, the fact that Peyton is the last great quarterback to play in Denver. I hope, I guess that's me speaking. I hope we have Monday night Mannings coming up as uh, a companion to the regular Monday night football broadcast. Cause I may need some comic relief. Plus we've got game five of the American league division series and it's soon. It's soon that we'll be in the final four. In fact, the NLCS begins on Tuesday. The Astros sweeping with an 18-inning affair on Saturday. My gosh. I guess if you have to play the equivalent of two games in one day, but your road trip ends early, that's a positive trade-off. Bills and Chiefs straight ahead. Was it everything that we wanted it to be? No, it wasn't a rematch. Did I just throw water on your parade? You don't throw water on a parade. That would be weird. You rain on a parade. You know me and cliches. So Bills and Chiefs coming up. What was the good, the bad, the ugly in week number six? You can find me on Twitter, A-Law Radio, also on our Facebook page. I I just can't even look at that picture of Clint Eastwood without grimacing. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for hanging out with us on what is a Sunday night. Hope you had a great weekend. You are listening to the After Hours Podcast. Mahomes trying to buy some time, moving to his right, pump faking once, twice. Now comes back to the near side. Cox Smith Schuster at the 30. Off a hit, 25, 20, Schuster 15, 10, 5, touchdown! Kansas City, Jew, Jew, Smith, Schuster. Josh in the gun. There's the snap. Chiefs another blitz. Josh throwing deep down the right side for Game Davis. Makes the catch at the five, heads into the end zone. Touchdown, Buffalo! Gabe Davis beat the single coverage. They finally beat the blitz. Off the field, on the money, and after hours. 
It's time to talk football with Amy Lawrence. Was it everything you wanted it to be? It was scoreless after the first quarter between the Bills and the Chiefs. But they did manage to put some offense on the board by the time they got into halftime. You hear both Mitch Holtis and John Murphy, the play-by-play voices of the Chiefs and the Bills, respectively. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. So we see them go back and forth uh, initially with punts and with empty possessions. Of course, there was a turnover for each. You had Josh Allen with the fumble. Then you had Patrick Mahomes throwing an interception in the end zone, which is not something you see from Pat ever, really, but definitely not at Arrowhead Stadium. Um, But they were able to each put touchdowns on the board by the end of the first half. Mahomes connecting with Juju Smith-Schuster after eluding a sack as that's what he does. I'm telling you what, both these quarterbacks are so much fun to watch. And they have different styles, obviously. Josh Allen's a brute. There isn't a throw he can't make. Of course, that's the same for Pat. Um, But he's a brute. He'll run you over. He'll just bull rush you. Uh, But the... The Patrick Mahomes style is more goofy. It's almost like coming out of a clown car at times. Watching him run in circles. A little bit of a ballerina reference or a pirouette reference, I suppose, uh, on the broadcast on CBS on Sunday afternoon. He runs in circles. He wriggles away from tackles. He eludes pressure. He extends plays. It's a bit of a trippy experience when you watch him do it. I just remember the the week before the Chiefs played in their first Super Bowl, we had Boomer in here in studio, and I asked him about Mahomes and what makes him a good quarterback, and he started with this, a big ass, <laughs> meaning he's got a very solid base, so it's difficult to bring him down. So he may not be as big as Josh Allen, but he's he's solid and he's strong, and that helps him to get away from pressure and tackles. And as you noticed how he keeps his head up, regardless of what kind of pressure is coming at him, he doesn't duck and run. He keeps his head up, and he's always looking around and waiting for his receivers, especially the ones who know him really well, like a Travis Kelsey, to find an open space where he can fling the ball to him. So Buffalo is able to respond after Juju goes 42 yards and there's some missed Bills tackles. Buffalo takes this little stretch right before the the end of the first half. And you can now see Josh just flinging it all over the place. It's a 96-yard drive. Now keep in mind, they were facing third and 13, backed way up in their own territory. And he manages to, I think it was Gabe Davis that he found for the first down. And at that point, they're off to the races. 18-yard completion, 30-yard completion, 14-yard completion, 34-yard strike to Gabe Davis with a touchdown. And so they're tied at 10 at the half. And you kind of got the feeling that there was more fireworks to come. Stephon Diggs gets into the end zone with a 17-yarder in the third quarter, but then Kansas City responds. And this is kind of the back and forth that I think a lot of us as football fans were hoping for. An 83-yard drive for the Chiefs, and it's chunk plays, similar to what we saw with the Bills at the end of the first half. Juju goes 41 yards. Travis Kelsey, I don't know how defenses lose a man as big as him, but they do. He's slippery. Kelsey goes 23 yards. And then Miko Hardman has the touchdown to cap it. 
By the way, welcome back to Harrison Butker. It was fun to see Harrison back on the field, though he did miss a field goal in this one. But he gives the Chiefs the early fourth quarter lead, 20-17. to 17. But they're not doing enough or hadn't done enough with their opportunities. And so leaving that door wide open for the Bills offense. And there were a couple of frustrating possessions there for Buffalo. Two empty possessions in a row, but then that groove again. And it's almost as though once they settle in that groove, once Josh Allen gets a full head of steam, and as I say, is bum-rushing guys. In fact, it was on this drive that he converted a fourth and one with a QB sneak. Everybody in the building knew it was coming. Everybody on TV watching knew it was coming. And yet there's nothing you can do to stop that man because he's gigantic. He's the same size as Cam Newton, essentially. Maybe not uh, as many pounds, but pretty darn close. And so once Buffalo started marching, once Buffalo started moving, it almost seemed inevitable. Second and 12 from the 14-yard line. Josh ready to go. Has Singletary in the backfield with him. Takes. Josh looks to throw. Looks in the end zone. Fires a strike into the end zone. It is caught for the touchdown. It is Dawson Knox. Two yards deep in the touch in the end zone. Touchdown, Buffalo. An amazing strike thrown by Josh Allen to Dawson Knox for the score. 104 left on the clock. I mean, Josh Allen's unbelievable. He definitely is that. And if I'm not mistaken, this was the drive in which he hurdled a defender as well. (laughs) If he's not trucking you, he's hurdling you. It's one or the other as a defense. Um, But that's the beauty of some of these great quarterbacks. The ones that we're watching now and marveling at, they have different styles. They're not all the same. But to have these two guys kind of coming up in the NFL at the same time and their skill sets that are so dynamic, man, to have them in the same game is a treat. But come on, raise your hand. Well, you don't have to raise your hand because I already know the answer. If you were looking at the clock and thinking, wait, that's a lot longer than 13 seconds. (laughs) There was over a minute to go. A minute left at Arrowhead Stadium. There's demons for the Buffalo Bills defense, right? First down for Kansas City at their own 30-yard line. Mahomes takes... Has a pocket, gets away to the right a little bit. He fires downfield, it is picked off. Picked off at the 20-yard line, intercepted by the Bills. Picked off by Darren Johnson. He goes down right there, and the Bills have the football. They are celebrating. They're running down to the end zone for the celebration. They pick off Patrick Mahomes. Darren Johnson steps in front of that pass, intended for Sky Moore, and comes up with the interception. Wow, Murph. Von Miller makes an inside pass rush move, then gets up the field. And so he pressures Patrick Mahomes. Matt Milano is barreling down on Patrick Mahomes. He knows he's going to take a shot. He tries to get it out to the flat. Taron Johnson jumps it perfectly. Under pressure, Pat throws his second interception of the game. This one in crunch time. Taron Johnson comes away with it. As you hear John Murphy and company on, well, John Murphy and Eric Wood, actually, on Bill's radio. Here's why it matters that the defense also came up with big plays in this game. Because it was the defense that was on its heels. It was the defense that allowed the Chiefs to use 13 seconds to go the length of the field and kick a field goal to send last year's divisional playoff game into OT. The defense needed to come up with a stop. For the Bills' sake, for their confidence boost, I didn't want this to be uh, who has the ball last. No, it was huge for the Buffalo defense 
to be able to seize this victory at Arrowhead Stadium. And Josh Allen knew exactly who to thank after the game, the defense for stopping Pat. You can make an argue he's got the best start to any quarterback to ever play this game in, in the history of the league. You know, he's a special player, so anytime he's got the ball in the hands, you never know what can happen. But again, credit to our defense for stepping up and making his plays. That's a great football team. I thought we played some good football. We just made too many mistakes at the end of the day. And when you play, when you make mistakes against another great football team, uh, you lose football games. And so uh, it'll be good to learn from. But at, right now, I mean, it stinks. It's I, first. I thought he said it stings, and then I realized he said it stinks. It stinks. <laughs> yeah, losing definitely stinks. I like it. Four and two now are the Chiefs. As for the Buffalo Bills, humongous. Does it make up for last winter's loss? Heck no. Come on. Anybody who's paying any attention or who is going to be honest is going to tell you this is not the same thing. It's not the same thing. Who knows what would have happened if the Bills had gotten through the Chiefs and gone on to the AFC Championship. But this is a massive step forward, and they've got the best record in the AFC. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio.